Well, hey, everyone, this is Heidi St. John. Welcome to the Off the Bench podcast. We are getting ready to head into the weekend here. And you guys know I like to introduce new people to you on Fridays. This is Meet My Friend Friday. And today I am very honored to have author, uh, New York Times bestselling author, Larry Loftus on the show with me today. Larry has written a new book uh, about the life of Corey Ten Boom. This is going to be a great conversation. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, thank you guys for tuning in as we head into the weekend. I hope you guys are encouraged in what the Lord is doing in the country. You heard me talking yesterday a little bit about kind of the headlines and what's going on in the news. We talked about ESG and some of the craziness that's happening in the culture right now. And I don't know if you saw this, but I'll link back to it in the show notes today. There was a pretty big turn of events on Thursday morning as it relates to ESG. Remember, we told you that the uh, the credit card companies were circumventing our protections in the Constitution by agreeing with ESG that they would go ahead and keep track of and report people who had purchased firearms with the credit card companies. Well, they lost big in court on Thursday morning, which is exactly what my guest yesterday said was going to happen. So I'm encouraged to see people of courage, people of valor standing up, standing in the gap for freedom. And uh, we're we're uh, we always want to list the things that are good that we can celebrate here because it feels like the wins in the last few years have been few and far between. One of the wins I think you guys are going to appreciate with me is to see another book out about Corey Tenboom. You guys have heard me talk about Corey uh, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others like her, men and women of courage, uh, that I think we should be emulating and studying. Larry Loftus joins me today. He has a brand new book out. A, a novel, actually, about Corey Tenboom, and uh, it's called The Watchmaker's Daughter. I'm thrilled to have him here. Larry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Heidi. But it's not a novel. It's nonfiction, 100% nonfiction. 100, well, she doesn't need to have a novel because the story is good enough it, on its exactly. own. Exactly. It, it is a nonfiction thriller, but it's all true. Yeah, it's amazing. How did you come to write about Corey Tenboom? A lot of people are familiar with her. Uh, you know, we've, we've sure. talked about her here on the show but you've kind of taken a, a new angle. I was just telling you a minute ago, I love, love, love the title, uh, The Watchmaker's Daughter. Why did why were, you, why were you compelled to to uh, write about Corey? If you look up here on my shelf, right about there is a book that I did in 2019 called Codename Lease. And it was about an SOE agent, a woman who had gone to France, was arrested, captured, sent to a concentration camp. And she was sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp for women, the notorious Ravensbrück. And a close friend of mine said, hey, you got to read The Hiding Place. And I'd heard of The Hiding Place. I knew who Corey was, but I'd never read the book. And I said, why? And she said, because at the same time that Odette Sampson is in Ravensbrück, and she's in a bunker, by the way, she's in a cell below ground and with no light. She can't see anything what's going on the outside. Wow. At the same time, Corey's there. But she was on the outside. She was in the regular barracks. So I was able to see and add to my story what was what was happening on the outside of the camp of the of the concentration camp, as opposed to just what was what was in the inside. So I had to, so I read the whole book, of course. And then when it was time for me to do this is my fourth nonfiction thriller. When it was time to do number four. I, I kind of wanted to do another spy in another country because I, 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 I jump around. The first book was about a spy operating in um, uh, Portugal. The second was was 
Odette operating in France. The third one was an OSS spy operating in Spain. So I wanted a new spy agency and I wanted a new country. Well, all the spy agencies I'd written about, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted a new country. And my mind kept going back to Corey because she was in Ravensbrook at the same time. She was not a spy, but her whole family was involved with the Dutch resistance, which brings its own dangers, as much danger as if you had been a spy. So my mind kept going back there and I thought, well, but there's the hiding place. But I learned a good lesson from my prior books, all of which had had either a biography or an autobiography before them, sometimes both. And I, and I knew or I have a sense of this is not all of the story. And so those books were successful because I, I got all the story. And so for this one, I, I just had a sense that, that the hiding place was only 10% of the story. And in fact, Corey did not write The Hiding Place. It was written by John and Elizabeth Cheryl, two professional writers where you see the with. She actually did her own autobiography in 19, right after the war, 1947, called A Prisoner and Yet. But it was a very simple book and it was kind of self-published. So it didn't go anywhere. But uh, the Cheryls approached her decades later and said, hey, we're professional writers. Let us write this for you. So Corey is writing or Corey's telling them about the story from memory. You know, she mm. kept no diary during the war. So this is all from memory 35 years later. Well, I I just started. So I started doing research. Um, I went to all of her archives, by the way, are at the Billy Graham Center and Wheaton College. So I went there and there's scores of boxes. So I went through box after box after box after box uh, for four days. I was there four days and it's got all of everything she ever had, all of her prison letters, all of her notes, all of her notebooks, all of her passports, all of her pictures for, you know, for her whole life. Wow. So and that allowed me, by the way, to put a lot of pictures in the book because they're in the archives. Um, but then I found that Hans Poli, who she had briefly mentioned in her autobiography of Prisoner and Yet in 1947, was not even in the hiding place. And he's really the second most important person in the story after Corey, because he, he and he was a Dutch diver, by the way. The Germans would snatch Dutch boys off the street and send them to work in factories in Germany. So he was the first permanent refugee, the first permanent person hiding there. And he's the one that came up with the idea of we've got to have a place to hide. He 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 cut a hole in their attic and, and they tried to make that work and it didn't work. It too, took too long to get people up there. So he said, we've got to find someplace else. And then Corey said, hey, I know somebody who might be able to find somebody. And they ended up getting this architect to build the actual hiding place. But he was the first person involved in the resistance. In fact, he was really worried because if you're involved in the resistance, that's a capital crime under Nazi law in the Netherlands at the time. And they had given him a gun. He's only 18. They had given him a gun and they asked him to shadow a Gestapo agent in Harlem because they were the Dutch resistance was planning on taking this guy out. And, uh, you know, giving Hans the gun kind of meant we're probably going to ask you to kill him. So he knew there would be risk and being involved. So he felt like I've got to tell Corey because it brings additional risk to the Ten Boom family and their home. So he told Corey. And to his surprise, she said, that's terrific. We want to be involved. Let's use the house as your headquarters. We, we want to, what can I do? How can I help you? So from that point on, she's involved. And then the whole family gets involved. And so they start taking in both Jews and Dutch divers, these Dutch boys. If you're between 16 to about 35, if, if the Germans, the Gestapo caught you on the street, they would just arrest you, put you on a truck and send you to Germany to work in the factories because all the German men were all fighting the war. 
Uh, so Hans was a courier for the resistance. And so he had to dress up as a girl. So they would loan him a dress and give him a wig. And so he would dress up as a girl whenever he went out. Um, so that's part of the stuff that I'm uncovering. And then Peter Van Warden, who's hardly mentioned in The Hiding Place, that was Corey's nephew. Uh, he was Nolly's son, Nolly, her sister's son. And he played a very prominent role. And, and, and what he did is not really in the book. But I found out that Peter had written his own memoir called The Secret Place in 1954, I believe. And it was fabulous. So I got all this additional information from Hans Poli's book, which came out in 83, Peter Van Warden's book, which came out in 54. And then I had to read all of the other books that Corey wrote, like two about her father, Father Ten Boom and In My Father's House, two books that were dedicated just to her father. Because if you want to know why is Corey like she was or why is Betsy like she was or Willem like he was, it's because of their father. And 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 really, uh, going back up the family tree, their 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 grandfather and their great grandfather, but Casper in particular was very influential in bringing up those four kids. They they studied the Bible every day. They prayed before every single meal. Casper would pull out the the Bible and read like a psalm for every meal. And so that was their life. That was just how they normally lived. So for her to, you know, go to Ravensbrook and witness to other prisoners was no big deal. That's what she did all her life. Well, I can't wait to read it because I've been fascinated my whole life uh, with the ministry of Corey Ten Boom, someone who could come from something so evil and so wicked to have lived through the Holocaust and have been sent to really for doing a good thing. Right. She gets sent to a Nazi concentration camp. uh, And really, the best stories are true stories. Uh, You know, if I'm going to if I'm going to watch a movie. It's going to be a true story. I want to watch Absolutely. the true stories. And Absolutely. she she had one of the most, I think, extraordinary stories of anyone uh, in, in in recent history. That's for sure. How do you think? So you, you're calling these nonfiction thrillers. And I mean, I in my mind, I'm like, well, for goodness sake, when Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that's a thriller. You know, obviously, Corey Ten Boom is. Uh, how is it that, that nonfiction can be thrillers? Because I would love to see more families picking up these books and being inspired by the lives of these men and women. Are you ready to experience the best sleep of your life? Listen, guys, I love, love, love the MyPillow mattress. My husband and I have been enjoying it for over a year. It's a two-sided encased coil quilted mattress, and you can get it delivered by UPS right to your door. It's easy to set up. Just unroll it and watch it come to life. The MyPillow mattress has a 10-year warranty, a six-month money-back guarantee, and free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the promo code Heidi, and receive up to 60% off your orders, again, by using the promo code Heidi. Or call 1-800-447-0541, and again, use the promo code Heidi. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, it sounds like an oxymoron when you say nonfiction thriller, but it started with my very first book I'd given my agent an initial draft, and I had written it as historical fiction. It was about the spy who inspired James Bond. And he said, wait a minute, isn't most of this true? And I said, well, all of it's true. And he said, just do it straight. 
just do straight nonfiction. And I, I'm a thriller fan, so I read all all the thriller books. Uh, you know, going back to Ian Fleming and Vince Lynn and and Adam Hall, who was Ellison Trevor. So I love that genre, and I love reading those personally. And so, just out of personal interest, I thought if I can find real people, spies in World War II that did incredible things that were dangerous or crazy or death-defying, then that's what I would love to do. So with that first book, Into the Lion's Mouth, um, my agent said, turn it into a nonfiction book. And I wrote it, I structured it as a thriller, because when you think of nonfiction, most people think, well, that means it's boring. You know, it's a biography. But if they really, and this is my job, I have to find characters that, that didn't just do one great thing. There had to be great things throughout a long period of time with dramatic events, with, with things that I will put in as cliffhangers. So I can't change anything that happens, but I can, I can decide. It's my decision to decide where to end a chapter. And so I end chapters right when you're on the edge of your seat going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What happened to them? You know, did they die? Those are the best. Those are the best ones to read to your kids, too, because then they're like, yeah. no, no, don't stop. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. guys. Stop. We have to, you have to finish your math and we'll come back and do it after you do a math yeah. lesson. So I bring in all of the things that are common in thrillers, which are cliffhangers and misdirection and intrigue and, and all of that missing information. So I bring all of that in. And like, for example, missing information. I'll tell the reader later what happened. Like in Codename Lease, one of the resistance guys had a briefcase that had all the notes and everybody's names on there. He had everybody's names, uh, which is crazy. And uh, he, he went on a train to go to uh, Berlin. And when he, uh, I'm sorry, to go to Paris. And when he, he, he fell asleep, when he woke up, the briefcase was gone. <laughs> well, there's Gestapo everywhere and Avoir agents everywhere. And they, and they grabbed it. And so I just ended the chapter with when he woke up that, you know, the briefcase is gone and then stop. So your mind starts racing and, you know, what happened? Did they did they find it? Did they arrest this guy? Did they get all the people? Uh, and the same thing kind of happened to Corey, which I won't throw out a spoiler, but something very similar happened to sto to Corey. And it's it's in the story. Wow. Obviously, you know, uh, you're writing about a woman who was well known for her faith. Uh, you know, in her entire life, marked by her devotion to Christ and her love for other people. And I'm curious, you know, you you came into this with some history on Corey Ten Boom. Was there anything in the story that surprised you as you were writing it? Um, I, nothing that really surprised me. I mean, I as I mentioned, I opened a whole door with with this Hans Poli character, and then secondarily with Peter. But what it, it didn't surprise me, but it drew my attention closer. All of these people had tremendous pressure and danger every single day, uh, just for the people that are in the Bay and, and the Tim Boom family and the refugees, the, the Dutch divers and the Jews. One night, there's a there's a German truck that pulls up and parks right in front of their house. Well, they're all like scampering. They're running into the hiding place. They're they're. They're picking up all their things and, and, and hiding. They don't know what that means. It's a German army truck in front of their door, and they're waiting for the knock. Well, or, and the Germans were masters at terrorizing people. Master and, and, and catching people and torturing people to catch people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on another, on another scenario, someone is washing their windows. And, and uh, one of the resistance people at the time says, 
they're they're having a, the like the, the family Jews Dutch divers resistance people they're all at a big table having lunch and this guy says hey uh, don't turn around but there's somebody peering through the window oh. and and someone else said that's impossible we're on the second floor and there's no ledge and then Betsy chimes in and Betsy says I didn't order the windows washed so everybody's like. This is either a Gestapo agent or an informant. What, what other options are there? And he's peering through the window, pretending to wash the windows. And so Yusi, uh, who is a Jew, he's sitting there and, and he said, OK, everybody carry on as normal. In a few minutes, we'll sing happy birthday. And they did. And I won't tell you what happens after that, because, again, that would be a spoiler. But uh, there's stuff like that that happens every day when when Hans goes out to on a on a courier run dressed as, as a girl, when Peter Van Warden plays the Willamus, the Dutch national anthem, which is outlawed uh, in his church. He's the organist, and he plays this, and the whole church stands up and sings what, what's going to be the, the repercussions, and there were severe repercussions for that. So they all had danger every single day that they lived with for five years. I think that one of the one of my takeaways whenever I read the stories of men and women uh, like this. I've been uh, a fan of YWAM Publishing for a long time, probably read to my kids maybe 20 biographies of missionaries over the years, you know, people that that risked everything because mm-hmm. there are things that are worth dying for. Mm-hmm. There are things that, that uh, God calls us to, sacrificial living, you know, serving other people, and obviously the Ten Booms, huge examples of this. But I think it's so interesting to note as you're talking, I'm I'm – in imagining what it would have been like, because we just lived through something not even remotely close and it was still terrifying, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, with the hostile takeover of a government and people screaming at each other because you don't have a mask on in the mall. And we realize how quickly human beings can turn on each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. And these guys were actually uh, playing with their lives. And as I said to, I think uh, before the show today, I hope that this writing inspires the readers to start looking deep into into their own hearts because we were born for this time in human history. And just like Corey was appointed for the time that God chose for her, we have been appointed for this time in human history and we're here for a reason. Just like Esther, yeah. for the time such as this. Yeah. I said, uh, you know, I'm a fan, obviously, of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's work, incredible human being executed mm-hmm. for, for doing the right thing. Yeah. And that I one of my favorite quotes of him is, is that silence in the face of evil is itself silent. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And you said that you were also uh, uh, an admirer, obviously, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and that there's a quote right in the beginning or the preface of the book. Yeah, at, at the very beginning of the book, and you, whenever you see a little long quote at the beginning of the book, that's called an epigram. So that's an actual, this is the epigram for the book, and it's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer when, that he wrote when he was in prison. He was executed at Flossenburg, of course, but when he was in prison, uh, it's when he wrote that, and, and it's moving. It is mm. moving when you read this and know what happened to him, and, and he put his life on the line and gave his life. So I'm a huge fan of Bonhoeffer. In fact, in the in the end notes, I, I have another long quote of his. In fact, I've, I've put him in the end notes, I think, for all, th- all three of my prior books. Really? Um, because one of the greatest, who, um, who Am I? If you know that famous poem that he wrote that's very long, that's very moving. Am I, you know, who they say that I am? Because he, he was, 
he was in a prison and and um, you know didn't know if he was going to be executed. And the German guards were typically they did what guards do. You know, they 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 make you do everything and they lock you up and they don't want to talk to you. But they knew the guards knew that he was a pastor, and just in being a prisoner, he loved them as a pastor, one human being to another. He he loved them. And so next thing you know, the guards are coming to him for marital advice, what? having struggles at home. Hey, yeah. Pastor Dietrich, can you help me with? And so they become his friends. And behind me on the shelf somewhere is a wonderful book called Letters and Papers from Prison. And it was where I got that, that epigram. Uh, when he was in prison, the guards so loved him that they would sneak out his letters to other people, to his fiance, to his parents to his close friends, they would sneak these letters out and then they would sneak in books. He would ask for theology books and they would sneak in books. And this went back and forth for, for a long period of time. And that's how we have the letters because the guards, the German guards snuck them out. It's, it's, inc- it's an incredible story. Extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. And, it, and, it's, and it, it shows you what happens when your life is guided by the Holy Spirit uh, and you're working in conjunction with him. What was your takeaway? Uh, in the few minutes that we have left here from writing uh, The Watchmaker's Daughter? Yeah, the takeaway for me was this. You start with, uh, Corey suffered. Yes, she did. But millions of people suffered far worse than she did during World War II, and countless millions paid with their lives. Corey helped a lot of Jews, you you know, in terms of the Holocaust and, and, and saving them by hiding them. But there were hundreds of thousands of people that saved more Jews than she did. Where Corey is unique is that she forgave everybody. She forgave first the Germans who had, you know, destroyed her life at Ravensbrück, the the SS. The SS is completely different from the rest of the people because the SS is part of the Nazi party. Um, But she forgave the Germans, number one. And then two, she forgave the guards. Many of the guards at Ravensbrück, both men and women guards, were very... Cruel. A lot yeah, of them brutal. Were very, yeah, they're known for their brutality. Yeah, very mm-hmm. cruel. And so she had to forgive them, the very people. And I won't throw the spoiler out, but there's a part in the story where she runs into one of her guards who was one of the cruelest of all. And um, I, I'll just stop there. But it's a very moving scene. And um, she ends up forgiving him. And then the worst and the hardest of all was to forgive the guy that betrayed her and her family to the Germans. He was a Dutchman. He was a Quisling. And so uh, the Quislings were hated by all, by everyone because these are the people that should be helping. And here you're a Dutchman and you're turning in other Dutch people, your own countrymen. So that Dutchman betrayed Corey and Corey's family, which resulted in her father's death, her sister's death, her nephew's death, and later her brother's death. Um, she forgave him, too. And, and mm-hmm. that one's hard. That one's hard because it cost family members' lives, and she did forgive him. Wow, extraordinary. It's an amazing, it's an amazing account. I'm so glad to see you taking it on. Again, the book is called The Watchmaker's Daughter. Where can people find your book? Wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, wherever books are sold. Larry Loftus, thank you for coming on the show with me. I hope uh, listeners go out and purchase the book, and maybe we can turn off Netflix and bring back Family Reading Night again. This sounds like a great opportunity to do that. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate having you here. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks for having me on. 
For more information about today's guest, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. I'll link back to Larry Loftus and the watchmaker's daughter in the show notes today. This is a great start to your weekend, you guys. Check it out. And you know, you've heard me say this before, love your people well. And a great way you can do it is by reading great books to them. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you back here again at the intersection of faith. 